Welcome to the Divine Feminine Revolution Podcast, where women are magical and empowered. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Monday, psychologist turned transformational feminine business coach. This podcast is for you if you want to prioritize your own pleasure, face your fears, and manifest your desires. This podcast is sponsored by the Fearless Feminine Academy, where I teach women how to turn their trauma into their superpowers. My goal is to show women that we can heal our world by creating time and financial freedom by doing whatever the fuck we want. Are you ready for the divine feminine revolution? Let's get vulnerable and go deep. I'm so honored that you're here. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I am super excited to introduce you to Carrie. And actually, I'm going to let her do her own brag intro. But I can't wait for this conversation. I've been looking forward to it all day. Hey. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Carrie Lou Cowell, and I am a dating coach for nerds. Um, I mean, that's really open to like anybody who considers themselves a nerd or whatever. Like, I'm open to working with a lot of people. But essentially, I make dating more joyful, more pleasurable, and way more easy than it is. Um, One of the things that I found while I was online dating was that I really needed to be intentional about it and that I needed a system. So I created a system because one of, right, like the things that are important to us and valuable are time and money. And usually everybody's short on those things. It doesn't actually matter how much time or money you have. So it's just like, okay, well, as a woman, like usually the money part isn't as big of a deal because hopefully you're getting treated on your dates, but the time part is a huge deal. And I feel like as women and as social creatures and usually the ones who are keeping the schedules, like we're very, very short on time. So one of the things that I put into place in my system, and this is probably like my biggest brag, was after, so I like to date like super nerdy guys who are usually socially awkward. (laughs) So I give them 30 minutes. And if I wasn't feeling it after 30 minutes, I really learned how to like gracefully be like, you know what, you're great. This is not what I'm looking for. And I just bounced. That's such a great skill. It feels like that could help you in any area of life to like be able to catch them quick and then like make a quick exit. That's so exciting. Do you work with men and women? Because I'm thinking I might have like one or two people I can refer you. (laughs) I do actually. I work with men and women. So I currently have about half and half. So that's exciting. Yeah. I think I have a couple of people in mind, you know, my background is a psychologist. And so that's something I work with quite a lot. And it's really hard for an introvert, especially if you're kind of like nerdy, you know, you've got the perfect background there with your bookcase and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it's hard to put yourself out there. Yes, it can be for sure. I think I, I, I mean, I'm, lucky in that I'm like more extroverted, but I definitely can tend towards the introvert scale, which I think is why part of why online dating was really successful for me. And I think it's why it's really successful for a lot of people, especially the people who are introverted, because it can be so easy to like hide as much as you want or like present yourself as much as you want in the online space. And obviously like, I mean, it probably depends on like what kind of nerd you are, but I think we're all like if you're nerdy, we're all like a little bit like tech savvy, like more tech savvy than a lot of people. So like, it's really easy for us to be in that space. Yeah. I always joke that I met my husband the old fashioned way because we met at a bar, (laughs) but (laughs) 
certainly the online space is like a lot, kind of safer and like, you know, you can screen out a lot of people, like, you know, you have access to like a wider pool of people. So I think that that's really an awesome option for people. And I've had several clients over the years who like found love, gotten married, like the whole bit from online dating. Well, and I actually, you know, it's so funny because I was on, it used to be Spark People and now it's OkCupid. Mm -hmm. And so I was on Spark People back in like 2004 Mm -hmm. and I would use it because I moved around so much. I think I've been in LA, I'm in Los Angeles, so I've been here now for six years and this is the longest I've stayed in one place. So I would actually use OkCupid to like find friends because I was like, well, I don't know anyone here and I'm not necessarily, I'm not a bar person. So I'm like, I'm not going out to bars. So how do I meet people? So I'd use the like friend option on the dating site to find friends. And I met my best friend off of there and she met her husband off of there and I met my current partner off of there. So it's all like, oh, OkCupid worked for me. Yeah, I've had a similar experience. I think OkCupid is great because it has networking and there's a couple other different apps like Over and a couple other ones that are kind of about like the friendship piece because I think nowadays what I see is like one of the biggest existential triggers for people is that they're really lonely. Yeah, well, especially in these COVID times too because I think, uh, are you, you're East Coast, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know what it's like out there but Los Angeles is still pretty locked down. Um, and I know uh, quite a number of places, at least in the U.S., are, are still pretty locked down. It can be lonely and exhausting and stressful right now. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have, like, a really interesting life story. Like, tell us a little bit about your journey to get to this point. Yeah, well, it's a very long and windy one. Um, your time. I like, like, <laughs> give us all the goods. We'll take my time. So I actually, we'll just start childhood and I'll try to keep it in like a walnut sized package. Um, I'm a transnational transracial adoptee. So I was adopted into a Caucasian family and there was a, and honestly, like there was a lot of trauma there. Uh, My mom was very codependent and I think that had a lot to do with her inability to not have children. Mm. Um, That was like her life goal. She was born in 1950. So that was like the thing to do and what she wanted to do. And I think that really affected her mental health when she couldn't do that. Um, and I mean, like, not to say that her adopting children wasn't fulfilling, but I just don't think like mom was the role that she was meant to fill without the help that she needed to like kind of work through that. Like, I think she was very depressed. Um, so there was a lot of trauma there, a lot of emotional abuse. And then I left, like I bounced when I was 17. I'm like, I'm going to college. Like I'm out of here. I moved, I grew up in Wisconsin. So I moved all the way out to Los Angeles. So technically this is like my second my second stint in LA. And I kind of just made my own way. Like I was brought up to be very independent. Um, We weren't financially well off. So like when I was 13, my parents are like, if you want to go to the movies with your friends, you got to get a job. Um, So I've been working since I was 13. And then like when I moved out to LA, I kind of had like this like existential crisis because I came out here for acting but like my parents didn't support it and I mean like you know when you're 17 18 years old your friends don't care so like I didn't have like that like friend network of support either so I kind of freaked out and I was like okay what can I do like what'll make me feel safe and I decided to go into psychology and it was just a very natural nothing like codependent mom to get you into psychology right (laughs) I know right Right. Well, yeah. And it was such a natural thing to do because I'm sure, you know, part of 
part of my skill came from having a codependent mom, but I was my friend's therapist anyways. So I was just like, all right, well, I might as well turn this into a career that'll make me money. Um, And it was, it was great because it was, it's definitely a subject that I'm still interested in. Um, But college was really just like the time where I really like worked on exploring and finding myself. Like I am fully of the idea that like after you graduate high school you need to go do something else that's not school because Mm -hmm. I you know I studied abroad in Kenya and I had so many interests and I was just like I came back so I studied abroad in my junior year of college and I came back and I'm like I don't actually know what I want to do like what so I was like let me just finish up my credits so I can graduate from college and say like this is done and figure something else out so after college I went to I moved actually I moved out to the east coast I was in Rhode Island and I did a year of volunteer work with AmeriCorps with this wonderful program called City Year. And I gained a lot of leadership skills there. And then it was finally, oh, it wasn't. You know what it was? One of my friends came back from that I met at USC. That's where I went to undergrad. And he was also a psychologist or working on becoming a psychologist. And he was like, I am working with this new startup company that does behavior um, ABA um, with with autistic kids, like come work for us. So I I did that. And I was like, I need to do more. Like, I can't just like be in these houses, like coaching the kids and coaching the parents. Like I really want to get into the shit. Right. And so I applied to doctoral, to a doctorate program. And I was like, I'm not interested in research. Like I'm not a science-based person. I'm like all humanities, like very intuitive. And so I, I went for PsyD programs and I ended up back in California in Fresno And I was really interested in play therapy and child psychology, and it was a lot. And it it, it was, grad school was like, and I don't know if you had this similar, like a similar experience, but I loved grad school. Grad school was so much better than undergrad because I was just focused on the one thing that I was passionate about that I wanted to do. I didn't have to worry about, I mean, like, I had to take stats, right? But like, I didn't have to worry about like taking like geology. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I didn't have to take, worry about taking these classes that I didn't care about. And the interesting thing about it was that I was in it and I was in my practicum and I was like, and it was great. Like I was working with, I wanted to work with the juvenile um, delinquent population. So I was in like um, a group home for kids getting out of juvie and I wanted to work with sex offenders. So I was working with juvenile sex offenders and incorporating play therapy and really like doing things that were not part of the normal curriculum for that population. And it was just, and I also like, I wanted to write my dissertation on human sex trafficking, which at the time I was in school, I was in my doctoral program from 2007, 2007 to 2009. And at the time, like human sex trafficking wasn't even an issue. Like nobody really knew about it. I mean, like there were still some things written on it, but I didn't get a whole lot of support on that. And, and working in the system, I was like, I can't change these children unless the system is also changing and I was like I can't I can't do this and and it wasn't and I always felt like weird and out of place and I thought like maybe like the school I went to definitely had like administrative issues so it's probably more frustrating than I wanted it to be because I'm like I should just be frustrated about school I shouldn't also be frustrated about like student loans and like all this other stuff right so I thought maybe it was the administrative stuff that made me feel like out of place but I asked a girl in my cohort, I asked one of my friends, I was like, 
you ever feel like you're in the wrong place? And she was like, no. And I'm like, okay, but it's just me then. It's me. Um, and I thought about transferring somewhere else, but I was like, I think I just, I just don't want to. So I was two years in and I left because I was like, this isn't what I want to do. If I can't change, like if I can't change the system holistically, these kids are never going to change. And I mean, like they might, but it's going to be a lot more difficult and more challenging for them. So I was like, I, I can't, like, it was just way too overwhelming for me. And I mean, like, thank God for people like you, Megan, <laughs> because there is like, it takes a certain quality of person. And like, I'm not one of those people. I'm just way too sensitive for that. Well, I hear you and I'm sensitive too. And that's actually how I got into coaching was I was really starting to burn out doing so much like trauma work. And I think you bring up a really good point, which is like systemic change. So luckily the PhD program that I was at, and this happened a little more towards the time I was graduating, but they really have a focus on social justice. And so it's like, especially for kids, because they have like so little control over their lives you know, like if you're not making systemic change, then like, you know, you're just like, kind of like doing the same thing over and over. It's just not very like effective, um, one by one. Cause there's so many people who like need help. It's really about like changing, you know, the violent structures, the patriarchy, the oppression, like all of those things. Yep. Yep. And it's just like, okay, well maybe I can help you with your trauma around your, cause you know, when, especially when children like offend sex, Actually, like it's usually because they were offended upon and and I was like maybe I can help you with that but that doesn't mean the other behaviors that caused you to land in juvie aren't still there and it's like what you know there's so many mitigating factors with uh with people in that situation that unless the system changes it's just so so challenging for them mm-hmm. um yeah so I left and I sat on my ass for six months <laughs> because I was very very mm-hmm. fortunate um at the time I was with somebody and he was supporting me through grad school and I mean I took out loans but like he really carried the bulk of like the everyday bills right and he was incredibly supportive around the change and he was just like take your time take your time to figure it out and I got really into knitting so I sat on my butt and watched a lot of tv and knit a lot of things um and that was a good six months it was a good six months and I What I realized like after taking that break was that the same girl that I had asked, like, do you ever feel out of place? She had also asked me like before I left the program, she was like, hey, there's this dinner theater that I was thinking of trying out for. Do you want to do this with me? And I grew up like I started acting when I was six years old. And obviously I I tried to go to college for that. Um, And that was it. And I was sitting on my ass for six months and I saw this announcement for the dinner theater for auditions and I was like oh yeah that was something we were supposed to do together and I'm like you know what like let's try it let's let's see let's see what happens and and I remembered I remembered like that was who I am like that's what I do and that's what I love like not that I wasn't passionate about psychology but that was more of like a intellectual passion than like a deep soul mm-hmm. passion and from there it was it was amazing because I think at that point I had it was around like 25 27 ish and it was such a crazy life change did a bunch of shows there re-enrolled in like the local community college because I was like well I haven't acted since I was 17 and it's been like 10 years should probably get some training on this again um and it was great and I was like this is exactly where I'm supposed to be 
And then my boyfriend at the time and I, who was supporting me, we broke up and we were in a lease. So we had to live together for a while. And again, he was super great and super supportive. And he was like, you know, when our lease ended, he was going back home to Pennsylvania. And I was like, well, what do I do? Because I have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt now. Um, and, and to pay that off, I was like, I have to get a full-time job. I have to get a full-time job to pay these off. So now what? Because how can I follow my dreams and get the training that I need to go back into acting? I mean, I guess I could have also just acted, but like that's, it's, it's a longer, harder road, I feel like without the training, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I decided, I decided I'm gonna live out of my car because if I don't have to pay rent, that essentially covers my like student loan payments and everything else should be covered. Cause it was like, it wasn't like I could go get a full-time job, but I could definitely support myself on a part-time job if I wasn't paying rent. And my ex is, that, gosh, what kind of like flawed system do we live in that you have to decide <laughs> between like paying your student loans or like having a roof over your head? Right. I just want to like hit that yeah. point really quickly. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I've come to accept, I'm like, I'm going to be paying these off forever. So like, thank God for like, um, you know, the like income based repayment, because otherwise I'd be paying like $3,000 or something crazy every month in student loans. Um, and I know the idea is like, you know, you go get a job where you can pay these back, but even that like idea is just so fucked up. Right. It doesn't yeah, allow it doesn't vote for any candidate that says they're gonna, you know, get rid of student loans and forgive them. Like, I'm all for that. <laughs> you got my vote. Me too. But yeah, so that was a choice I made. And my my ex at the time, like again, super supportive, really great man, uh said, because I think at the time I was still unemployed, because you know, he had been supporting me this whole time. So when we broke up, he was like, I'm gonna give you six months. I will pay all of your bills that are like the must-have bills. So like my student loans, uh, not my rent because I was gonna be living out of my car, like food, things like that, like all of the must-haves. And he's like, you get six months to figure it out and I'll pay all of your bills and just figure it out. And I was like, okay, cool. Like this gives me time because that's what I needed. I just needed time. And what happened was I ended up, well, okay. <laughs> so what happened was I really fell for this other guy like later and he was just a shitty guy, but he was that type of person. You know, those relationships where you get into them and you're just obsessed and you're like, I need to be with this person all the time and I need to do everything that they say. And I just need to be like, constantly available for them like when they say jump you say how high and that was like it got into a relationship with someone like that and I <laughs> I was at a party out in the country so my school was in Fresno so there's a lot of like farmlands and stuff out there and my friend's parents lived out in the farmland and we were out there for a party and this guy texted me and he's like hey I'm available now and I'm like I gotta go I gotta go and be with this guy and it was like 30 minute drive away so I hopped in the car with my friend who had come with me and I was like busting 90 miles per hour down these backcountry roads. And the entire time I'm just watching like the fields whiz by and I'm like praying to God. I was just like, please just keep us safe. Like that's all I like, I'm going to still drive 90 because I'm crazy, 
but just keep us safe. And I got pulled over, got this like $600 ticket and I'm supposed to leave. I'd gotten accepted into a conservatory, which is um, like elite acting school. And I was like, fuck, like I, how am I supposed to pay this off? I don't have a job. I'm living out of my car. I'm supposed to be moving away for school. Like what the fuck am I supposed to do? And uh, so I'm a pole dancer. And I've been doing that. I did that when I was in grad school. Um, I taught it for a little while when I, like, after I quit grad school. And one of my friends that I taught with, she was like, oh, just go to the local strip club. They have amateur night. And, like, go with a friend because if you're both up there and one of you wins, you can just split the pot. And I was like, an amateur night, I think the pot ended up being, like, 300 or $400. So I was like, cool, if I do this twice... Like, I'll be able to pay off my ticket. Even if I go with a friend, I'll at least pay off, like, half of my ticket, right? And so we go there, and she, and she's just, like, super cute little thing. Um, she's, like, a model and everything. So she won both times, and, like, the strippers and the management were just, like, super in love with her, and they're like, come work for us, come work for us. Sat there, and I was like, maybe I need to do this. Like, even if even if I only make like a hundred or $200 a night, it's way more than what I'd be making in like a part-time retail job. Right. So that's, that's what I did. And I did that for four years. I was a stripper for four years and it was so, I mean, it was a lot. Like I definitely learned a lot of lessons. I learned how to manage my money um, because I definitely, and I feel like, cause you know, you hear these stories about women who do this for a living and like how they don't, how they're broke. But it is so easy when you're making $200, $300, $500 in like an hour. It is so easy to get into this mindset of like, let me buy this Gucci purse because I can make this up in like under two hours, right? And I obviously had a goal because I was doing that so I could pay my student loans through my acting school. And I was like, no, like you get like two things that are like, you know, like the dream buys, like those big purchases. And then you get back on track because you're here for school. You're not here to like buy Gucci bags. Right. Um, but I learned how to stick up for myself. I learned how to be, I don't want to use the word clandestine, but like how to be soft, like soft nose, um, I learned how I learned hard nose, which was a really good lesson to learn. Um, and even just like physically, I learned how to physically stand up for myself. And like, I'm five foot two, I'm like 130 pounds. Like I'm not very big. So most people are bigger than I am, but you figure out how to make it work with what you have. And it was just such a good life lesson. And it created a life for me that allowed me to be in school, not have to worry about paying my bills. I was able to, I did a I went to school up in the central coast of California, so it's wine country. So I was able to drink a lot of wine. Um, and it was really, really good. And honestly, like Megan, I highly suggest like all women do this because you learn so many things and it is so empowering to be in this position of, I can make you give me your money without really having to do anything, but like be, myself or like whatever version of myself you want right um, yeah I used to be a cocktail waitress and that definitely taught me okay. some assertiveness moves for sure um I'm kind of you know I'm really interested in objectification theory and so I think you know sex work is like a really big feminist issue and I think we sort of like have a little bit of a double standard there so like 
what was your experience of like, did you feel like objectified? I mean, it sounds like overall you felt like it was like pretty empowering as far as being able to set boundaries for yourself. Like tell us about that. It, it is, it's objectifying because they're paying you for essentially just being sexy. And, and there is an element, and I mean, this depends on the girl, but like I worked in a smaller town and I am a very private person. So like I made up a persona, I made up like a whole background. I mean, honestly, like it was the best acting job that I ever had because <laughs> I had to be in it all the time and I was getting paid a lot of money to do it. So, um, but there are other girls who are just very open about like who they are and what they do. I'm just not one of those people. I, <laughs> I will do a lot for money. So like, I, it just never, what bothered me was the entitlement of people and not just men, like women were actually a lot of times worse than men. The entitlement to objectifying my body more than the actual objectification of my body. Because I'm like, I was actually like, I hit puberty around like 12, 13 years old. Um, I mean, like at the time my boobs weren't huge, but like for middle school, they were pretty big. And like, I've been sexualized for like, since puberty, like since I hit puberty and it, it was always one of those things that I kind of knew was like the card in my pocket. And I knew I could use that to like get the things that I wanted. So it was really like stripping is just an extension of that for me. Um, so I don't, I don't have a problem with it. The, the friend that I started stripping with and uh we pulled in another one of our friends as well so like I'm part of the BDSM kink community mm -hmm. and honestly for them like that's their kink like they're like we love being objectified like this is fantastic because we're getting what we need like on that level and we're also getting paid for it so I you know I think if it's a choice because there's obviously some situations out there where it's not a choice but I think if it's a choice like it is incredibly empowering I, I say this with the caveat that you need to have, you need to have the gumption to stay away from drugs, alcohol, and you need to have like the stability mental health wise to deal with the trauma because like I absolutely was, and I really wish we had a different word for it, but I was absolutely sexually assaulted like in the club. And that's not like, there was no well, actually, I was going to say there's, there was no penetration, but there was one lady who was really handsy. But it wasn't like assault. It wasn't violent. It wasn't penetrative. But it was definitely touching, unwanted touching, right? So I wish we had like a word that was kind of in between that didn't portray violence because that wasn't what it was. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. And that's kind of what we would do like in counseling settings. Like if you ask people like if they were raped or, raped or assaulted, a lot of times people will say no. But if you ask people, yeah. have you had an unwanted sexual experience? Pretty much universally, people will say yes to that. And so I right. think that like really brings up the rape myth of like, you know, mm -hmm. I think women a lot of times are like raised to be hypervigilant to like be on guard for an attacker. And Certainly that mm. does happen, but like more often it is this like unwanted sexual experiences. It is, but usually by someone, you know, or like an acquaintance or something like that. Yeah. Um, so here we like live on guard when really like, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't prepare us for the reality of like, that it's all around us. Right. 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 Exactly. Well, and that, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I actually do have that experience, not like in the club, right? Cause the club is strangers. It's just like, there is a certain entitlement that comes with, and, and an idea, because even the managers who 
I mean, I loved some of them more than others, but definitely one manager was like, well, it's part of the job. Like, what do you expect? And I'm like, okay, like, yeah, that, that is the standard. And also like, I should be able to expect better because like people just need to learn that like strippers are people and like, cool, come in and watch us take our clothes off. Like, that's really great. Like, I'm, I'm glad you're getting off on that. But like, also, I mean, like, yeah, there are, there are girls who turn tricks in the club. There are girls who are, are okay with, uh, you know, having those touches. The smart ones say, pay me an extra $20 and you can touch my boobs. But, but regardless, like it needs to be a conversation as opposed to just like this expectation that it's okay. But I did have a friend who, and again, like I, I hesitate to use the word assault because we, we identify assault with something violent and it was not that but he was a massage therapist and a Reiki healer. And like, I was in town visiting one day and I was like, you know what? Like, I've never had Reiki done. Like, let, and I could totally use a massage. Like, let's do it. And he was just like, I won't charge you if you don't, like if we just do it on my bed because, um, because he didn't want to pull out his table. Cause that's like a process. And I was like, yeah, cool. Even better. I get it for free. Like, let's do it. And like, he touched me a lot in places that I didn't want to be touched. And yeah, and like what, what been here do. I am a big fan of Reiki. I'm a Reiki master teacher, but I, I recommend it. I think it's a great supplement for therapy work. But I will say it's like super important to get a recommendation. There's not like a like a real like licensure certification process around it. And so like just anyone can get it in like a couple hours. But I do find that there are these dudes that like, oh, I'm a healer. And they totally like take advantage. And I feel like that mm-hmm. is just like the worst bastardization of like what's a really very like sacred healing process. So I'm like really glad that you brought that up because that's one of my big soap soapbox moments because it's so vulnerable. Yeah. It's like in therapy, like you don't, you know, that shouldn't ever turn sexual, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's so, well, actually, so funny thing is I'm actually a Reiki master myself. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And when I was going through my first training, I had to have a big conversation with my Reiki master about that. Who's a dude. Um, and I had to be like, and it, 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 it didn't occur to me until I was like two or three days from like actually taking the training. And I was like, Oh no, there's still stuff. Like, cause I felt like, do I want to be a part of this energy system that like obviously was very toxic for me and so we had to have this big long conversation about like what that meant and I talked to a couple other like female Reiki masters and like you know just really getting that assurance that like no like this healing system is healing that guy just happened to be a really shitty dude yeah you know so but yeah it is interesting because I feel like we need that in-between word that's that's not associated with violence because it's usually not like like any sort of sexual assault is usually not violent. It is, like you said, like somebody that you know, and usually somebody that you trust. Cause like this guy was my friend. Obviously I trusted him. And it, we really, there's actually some research that says that like the length of time of knowing someone actually is not an indicator, which if you want to talk about a scary fact, it, I worked as a victim advocate when I was putting myself through grad school. And so a lot of times like people had known these people for years and then just one day, you know, it happened. And so that, I mean, honestly, that freaks me out more than the whole, like, someone's going to jump out and grab you moment, you know, is that like, can we really trust the people around us? Um, Oof, that's intense. 
works. Well, and you know, it's funny because, because I had like, so when I started stripping, I actually practiced yoga a lot because it kept me in that good, like mental health place when I went into the club, mostly. So like, I'm a pretty fiery, like very strong woman. So like it kept me mostly from murdering people because I obviously knew on top of like all of the, um, stereotypes and ideas that we have about strippers like just murder in general would get me in trouble so so it kept me from that but I I started off with my mindfulness practices like you know for a few years before I like met this guy and we started hanging out and obviously so many more years after this happened and so afterwards I was like no we need to process this like let's talk about this and so we had this conversation and he was like oh no like this was premeditated. Like I asked you to do it on my bed. So, and like not pay me so I could do this. And I'm like, you are a fuck. Like I am so out. Like this is insane. Like, and I, for a long time, that just like destroyed, well that and like the guy that I was telling you about that I was obsessed with, but it just destroyed my trust in people. Cause I was like, how, like, how could you even do that? Cause I, I come from the like core belief that all people are good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I don't even understand, like, like, I would understand if it's like, okay, this girl, because, you know, he was giving me a massage and Reiki, so, like, I was naked on his bed. And so I'd understand if it was just like, oh, you're naked, and, like, now I'm kind of turned on, so, like, let's see, you know, because, like, we didn't have that discussion. So it was like, let's see what happens, you know, if I try something. Like, okay, like, I understand that. But to, like, go into something with this, like, premeditated idea that, like, you're going to do this, like, that's just disgusting. Well, and I think everybody makes like consent seem so hard, but you know, I've definitely taken some sexual workshops and it's just about saying like, is this okay? Are you into this? Do you like this? And then if someone says yes, you know, especially like, you know, in that scenario, you get like, it wasn't like a formal appointment or whatever, you know, like if we had just like asked for consent and you have been willing, that could have had a totally different vibe to it. But people like, I don't know why people are so scared to talk during sex, but like, you know, consent is so powerful because it can really make sex so much better just by adjusting like little tiny (laughs) moments. Imagine how like, so you said you were a Reiki master as well, Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine like being in that energy and like, having that consent like I'm like getting turned on thinking about it right now because like it's it's so sexy right like it's really powerful energy for sure yeah Yeah. sexuality can be so sacred right I mean and I think one thing that I would like to tell people is like you know, like to each his own, like whatever, like, you know, choices you're into, that's cool. But you're also like opening up all your chakras and like, you're like literally like linking energy with people. And they say something, I've heard something like, um, you stay connected people for people for seven years after you're yeah. done being partnered. Yeah. And so it is like really, um, <laughs> might make you rethink who you're hooking up with, like l- legit, like energetically hooking up with, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, seriously. I, uh, I've read that somewhere too. And I'm like, okay, well, like, I think at this point I've cleared out most of the shit. So yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's essentially my story. When I moved to LA, like the second time, um, I stopped stripping and I considered going back into it. Cause man, like, I don't know how much you know about Los Angeles, but it is a tough city. And it really is like, I came out here for acting and I came, I came out here with $10,000 in savings because I knew it would take time for me to find a job and everything. I blew through that in like six months and it is so easy to do out here because everything is so freaking expensive. Um, 
and I'm not like, I'm really not. So I talked about a Gucci purse earlier. Like I bought myself a coach purse. I'm really not like a name brand person, but I like things that have like, that are like high quality with lifetime guarantees that are also feel really good because like I'm a, I'm a highly sensitive person. So like, I just need like things that feel good. And so I'm not like out here, like spending loads of money on like crazy shit. Like I don't feel like my $10 nachos from Denny's should have broke the bank. But if you do that enough times and put that on top of like rent and student loans and like all the other stuff you have to pay for in LA, like you can blow through money so quickly. (laughs) So I'm kind of curious, like, you know, talking about sales, I think that that's a big challenge for people, especially in the coaching industry. So like any fearless feminine sales tips that you've learned along the way being in, in those environments? Like, cause I feel like, you know, money is the really, it's just like green energy. Right. But we have like so much baggage around it a lot of times. I think it's definitely changing your mindset around money. And that's something that I had to work on coming from a family where money was always lacking. Mm -hmm. Like I did a lot of meditations around being in abundance and calling in money and being open to receive money. And when I spent money saying whatever I spend will come back to me like tenfold or threefold or however many fold you want it to come back. Um, I also, because I actually have a big background in retail sales. So the, the hardest part for me is always selling myself. Mm-hmm. And that and that was a big thing with stripping too, because I did have, and it wasn't body shame necessarily, but it was, I love my body, but somebody else might not love my body. So I don't know if I want to like write that consent piece that we were talking about. And that's really what I think it was. If this person in the club is not consenting to see my body, I don't want to inflict that on them, right? So I had to, I really had to get over that. Um, and it was about looking at budgeting and being okay with and strict about, and maybe not strict is the right word because I can't say that I'm strict with a budget now, but definitely knowing myself more and knowing that I am kind of flexible around my budget. So maybe bumping up like the, um, um, the disposable cash amount in my budget a little bit more just to make room for that. Like, Oh, here's a book. That's like $20 that I want. Okay. Well, it's like not in my budget, but like, I really want it and it's on sale. So now's like the good time to get it. And just kind of having that like cushion. So like when that happens, yeah. When that happens, I can be like, okay, like maybe, maybe this isn't in my budget, but I know that I have, budgeted for these things that like aren't in my budget you know you know what you were saying about like not inflicting your body on someone it kind of made me think about like visibility and visibility wounds and fears and I think especially around selling like I think especially for women there's this like kind of like passive aggressive thing of like like oh I'm selling but not really like come click this link but don't look over here you know and it's like to I found that like you really have to be bold and loud and over and over and over again to like get the sales flowing. So like any visibility tips, I mean, you think about stripping like that, you're like, you know, totally visible. And I think some, you know, especially if you're a sex yeah. person, a lot of times that's a part of advertising. Um, but you know, like you're visible in that same way with a personal brand because it's you. Mm-hmm. And it, it is the same way. And I do have that like, I don't want to say it's resistance because one of the things I did learn with stripping is you just kind of you have to do it like you just have to do it mm-hmm. and the only way out is through so like the more you do it what did I'm gonna actually look this up because I don't want to botch it um but I was working with this coach and she said this thing that was so 
it wasn't like groundbreaking, but it was definitely like, oh yeah, like this is something to remember. And she said, here it is. Confidence is a result of action, not a pre prerequisite. And that is something I come back to over and over and over again, because the more you do it, the more you become comfortable with it, the more you create these neural pathways in your brain about becoming comfortable with it. And what I found during, so I just started this dating coaching business of mine last month. Um, and I already have two and a half clients. One woman who's interested in working with me is in the middle of a move right now. So we decided to revisit after she's settled in. Um, and I'm like, dude, like, and you know, it's so easy to get into this mindset of like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just started this and I'm a failure, but I'm like, I just started this four weeks ago and I already have like two clients and one potential client who's like, definitely like in it. Like she's just not in the right timing right now. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's actually really good. That is amazing. Um, but what I found with the, like the marketing and the sales in this one was like, I'm not actually selling. I'm just telling, so I'm on Instagram for this business mm -hmm. and I'm just telling my story and telling people tips. Like I started doing a lot more lives now and I'm just telling people like who I am and what I've gone through and how I can help. And that's really what's been the attractor, like the magnet. There's no sales. Like I see, and I'm not saying this is like a bad way to do it. It's obviously very effective, but I see all these, you know, like invisible AF or whatever. I see all these, like, do you want more money or do you want more pleasure? Or do you want this? And like, yeah, obviously those answers are yes, but like, I haven't, it doesn't sit right with me. I don't think that's really like the way that I want to do it because it still feels, especially coming from like a retail mindset, it still feels very predatory. And I'm not saying it is like, I, I definitely have my own work to do around that. Um, and if it works for you, like, cool, I like, keep doing it, but it doesn't work for me. And so like, my thing has just been like, let me tell people my story. Let me tell people my message. Let me just be out there. Let me tell them what's helped me in the dating world. And that has clearly attracted people. And I'm like, I can, like, I can do this. Like this feels comfortable because I'm not asking anyone what they're lacking, which is like, really like the piece that I have issue with. Cause I'm like, well, you're not lacking and you don't need someone to make your life happy. But it makes it like, maybe not better, but like it makes it more vibrant, right? It's like having a cake that's already fully iced and decorated and then putting a little tiara on top, right? Yeah, um, I had some struggle with that around like the pain points. And I feel like sometimes this can be like really manipulative and coercive around yeah. let's really trigger the shit out of people. And then, oh, by the way, like you need my coaching. I'm like, uh -huh. that doesn't feel good to me. And I think that's like kind of a more masculine paradigm of, you know, like the original kind of like snake oil sales people. Yeah. But I love to see like women rising because I love what you're saying. You know, your story really like you do get to just show up and be yourself and get paid to do it, but get paid well to do it. Um, if, if you have that belief system, you know, and so I don't think you need tricks and like, you yeah. know, maneuvers. And I don't think you have to overly trigger people. Like, you know, people want to find love. They want to show up. They want to like make money. They want to do these things. It's not like we have to like coerce them. Right. And I, you know, and, and all of my clients that I'm working with, I'm like, no, they're, they're my perfect clients, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but they're also just perfect. Like they're so, they're just such perfect human beings because they have this shit that they want to work on and they want to like be better. At, I mean, I don't know if be better is the right thing, but they want to be better human beings and put themselves in a place that will set them up for success in the dating world. 
Because a lot of what I do isn't even like I do online uh, dating profile audits and we go through and like, you know, we'll reword things and reframe things and all of that stuff. And we do some of the like, you know, what are your like, what are your top 10 qualities that you're looking for in a lifelong partner and goal setting and things like that. But really like the biggest bulk of work that I do is working around trauma working around mindset, getting them out of this idea that dating is a chore and that there are no good people left to date. Mm -hmm. And you know, that I have to have a hundred messages in order to find the one. I'm like, you don't, you need one message from the one person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. So it doesn't matter. And I feel like this is obviously more like a, on the male end of things, right? Because we, as women just naturally get more attention. Um, but on the male end of things, it's like, I, I don't get messages or I don't get responses. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. All you need is that one response from the person that you're going to marry. I think that's so huge. And whether you're talking about like sales or dating, it's like the same thing. It's that fear of like abandonment, fear of rejection, you know, like crickets kind of moment. And it's like really vulnerable to put yourself out there and then not receive that, you know, and I love how you're reframing that. It's so powerful. Well, and I mean, like in a way, like dating is really just selling yourself. So it's the same thing as like coaching, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like selling coaching when you're dating, you're selling yourself to a potential future partner. And and it's it's a lot of the same. So like anything that I say about dating is honestly like the same things that I would use when I'm selling my coaching, uh, you know, on the social media and stuff like that. It's really just making yourself visible and putting yourself out there. So like one of the things that I like my little like taglines, right. Is like redefining what it means to put your best self forward. Mm, I like that. Feel, thank you. I feel like we have this idea in the dating world and probably in the sales world too, that there's a certain way that we have to be, or like a certain way that we have to look to, attract the right people so like on the dating site right and and i feel like even in like uh social media marketing it's like i have to wear the right clothes and i have to like have a picture of me like at a wedding or in some sort of formal thing and then i have to have a picture of me looking like i'm adventurous or like whatever right but you don't you don't at all and i actually i'm gonna pull up this picture because i'm gonna show you the picture that I had on my dating profile um, when I went back on the dating sites. And it was so, because the thing is, you find a way to, and this is the other thing that I work with my clients on, is finding a way to show who you are authentically and make it eye-catching enough that people, even if they don't message you, they'll stop and be like, okay, let's see what this person is about. And like now, did I at the time? I guess I did at the time, but like now I have fire hair. I guess I don't anymore because of COVID, but. um. (laughs) I think it's so amazing because even like, if you're not like say on social media, if you're not getting like the likes and comments and stuff, it doesn't mean that people aren't like watching and keeping tabs on you. And that's like always interesting to me when I'm like, who is this person? Oh, wow. They've been following me. I have no idea who they are. You know, like, you know, there's the lurkers. And I think that's true with dating. And, you know, for me, I think it's just so powerful to like rewrite the narrative. That's like what I'm all about, you know, kind of feminist narrative therapy is sort of like, you know, we get to be who we are. And like, one thing I will say as a therapist for like 15 years watching people is that there literally is someone out there for everyone. I truly believe that. And even multiple people, (laughs) you know, so it's just like, you really can find someone. I think a lot of times people just need the reassurance and the permission slip to like go for it. 
Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to show you this picture. Yeah. Let me know if you, so that was my dating profile picture. And you can't even, like, you can't even see my face. Like, you have, yeah, you have, you have no idea. You have no idea what I look like, but. No, no, I might have clicked on that one. <laughs> I, I got, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly who I am. Like, I'm weird. I'm quirky. I, I do weird things like boudoir shoots and unicorn onesies, because that's exactly who that's I am. That's awesome. Yes. And nobody, like, I mean, you can kind of see my body, but you can't even really see my body. Um. So like, and that's not, that's not for everybody because not everybody's like me, obviously, but you know, you put up something like that. You put up something that says, this is me exactly as I am. And it encompasses everything that you are. People are going to click on that. They're going to look at that because that is attractive. That is magnetic. It's so funny that you talk about there being somebody for everybody because I work with poly people too. Yeah. Uh, But I think I absolutely learned that when I was in the strip club because we had a girl who worked for us. Um, being in a smaller town, like in a strip club in a smaller town, definitely left it more open to varying types of bodies because I feel like in big cities uh, like Los Angeles and Vegas and everything, they're really looking for like a type. And like each club might have like a different type, but like they're definitely like a stereotype type of like, this is a stripper, right? But being in a smaller town, like I had a manager who hired basically everybody because he knew and he was very, very wise that there, like somebody likes something and everybody, there's something for everybody and you need to have that variety. And there was a girl that I worked with. She was gorgeous, but like, she was a really big girl. She, um, she reminded me a lot of Lizzo. So like very Mm -hmm. like rolled and like just you know, she was African-American and just very big. And I'm sitting with a guy once who was not my client. He was actually her client. He was watching her on stage. And we connected because like my backstory was that I was from Hawaii, which I'm not, but, but we connected because <laughs> he was actually from Hawaii. So I was like, let me do my research. So we can just have stuff to talk about. Um, and Look at your character like, commitment. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But he was watching her on stage and he's like, I just love her. She reminds me of one of those anime girls. Like I love watching her dance and all of like when, you know, when she dances, like all of the, all of her body undulating. And he was just like so into it. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Like not my thing, but like, I can see like how you can be into that and why you're into that because, because the way that he described her, she was was just like a fucking piece of art to him. And I'm like, there really is something for everybody and everybody, like someone for everybody, you know? And and that was, and I mean, like, obviously, like on a logical level, I knew that, but like that really made it somatic and like made it in my body, like something that I could feel. Yeah, you know what that makes me think of is I really feel like the dialectic, you know, which means like two opposing things can be true, Mm -hmm. but that really needs to happen for like this revolution, this like moment in time is that, you know, like inclusion, like we all get to belong and diversity. We all get to be like uniquely ourselves and that those two things don't have to like, you know, everybody tries to fit in the box to be normal. Like, fuck that. Like, let's just like all be ourselves. We all get to belong. We all get to include, obviously, like we need to deal with some of the sort of like oppressive patriarchy stuff to get to that point. But I think the more we can like come out with our true selves and like, instead of reject people when they're, you know, like when they trigger us or when they have something that we want, we're jealous or envious instead, just like really being like, Oh my God, you're doing you. Like, that's so amazing. It's so amazing. And I see that too. And I know like, you know, we're both in P school together and like visible AF and everything. 
Um, and I do see a lot of the women being like, oh, there's so many coaches. Oh, we're all selling the same thing. Oh, is it okay to copy? And the answer is yes, because everybody's a different person with a different personality. And even if like, let's say I'm, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm personally not like a, a, a business coach, right? But like, even if I was doing, took everything that Julia had and copied it completely, like a hundred percent, like it wouldn't be the same and it wouldn't have the same feeling because she is who she is and I am who I am and the energy will be different and the the way that it's presented will be different I actually learned that in grad school because I while I was getting my doctorate I was also getting my master's in organizational behavior Mm. and uh, one of our assignments so it was like um weekend courses for people who are already working and one of the assignments was that we all had to do a group report like a small group report on the challenger disaster and people were so upset they were like well we're all just going to have the same information like this is going to be super boring like i don't understand like why we have to do this like what are we learning but it wasn't none i mean obviously like some of the information was the same because like you know it's the challenger disaster some of the information is just going to be the same but every presentation was completely different because the groups that we were working in contained different people who were interested in different information, who had different views of the world. And I I think honestly, like that was one of my more enlightening moments in life was that you can be doing the same thing and it's not gonna be the same at all. Yeah, and it's kind of like, if you've ever done like paint with a twist, it's like everybody's painting the same painting, but it all comes out different because everybody has their like unique, you know, flair to it. Some of us <laughs> yeah, yeah, and some of us can't really paint, but that's okay. That's that's what I love about expressive arts. You know, you mentioned the knitting and some of the stuff early on, the acting. Like, I really do feel like a lot of why we have so much pervasive like mental health issues is that people like aren't expressing themselves and they aren't being creative and they aren't taking the time to figure it out because they're just trying to like, you know, like check the box of like you know getting married getting a house getting a job blah 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 and it's not ultimately very fulfilling a lot of people don't want those things so I guess my final question to you is like if you were to see this like you know like kind of fearless feminine revolution to happen like any ideas on what that might look like I mean I feel like we're in it but like what would you like to see for the future I I would like to see for the future definitely more balance between the matriarch and the patriarch because yeah. both are valuable and both are necessary. Totally. Uh, I want to see more compassion in the world and empathy and a more definitely more pleasure. Like that's something I have a very heavy masculine energy to me. Um if you couldn't tell, but definitely more pleasure, which is something that I'm working on and this idea that it's okay to just be who you are, like this acceptance. Like, so we talk about like, if we're talking about like divine feminine, just kind of being that vessel for for people, for people to just be and being okay with just being, because we are such as, at least in the United States, right? We're a very go, go, go. Like the Western world is very masculine energy driven, but I'm always like, can we just be like a little bit more? I mean, I know that Europe is the Western world, but I'm like, can we be a little bit more European where we have like a three hour lunch break where we go take a nap? And I mean, I don't know about you, but my circadian rhythm definitely falls into that where I get super sleepy, like right right around this time, like, you know, two to four. And I'm like, I need to take a nap and I need to eat some lunch. 
And then, you know, then I'm ready to go like, for another like three or four hours of work. So like, like seeing that shift where it's not all work all the time, because what's important is our relationships. What's important is being authentic and being honest with yourself and being comfortable with that. Yeah, I love that so much. Well, it has been so, you know, thank you for being so vulnerable and authentic and real with your story. And, you know, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. So tell us, like, where do we find you? How can we work with you? I think I've got a client or two I can send over to you. Um, Yeah. Tell us all the details. Absolutely. Um, So if you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram at Carrie Lou Yoga. That's K-A-R-I. L-U yoga, because pre-COVID, I was a yoga instructor, Mm -hmm. so I was working more on that, and then I pivoted, and I actually much enjoy, like, dating coaching much better, Um, and sometimes coaching involves yoga. It just kind of depends on the client, so you can find me on Instagram. uh, It's the same. It's Carrie Lou Yoga on Facebook, but it's really just, like, plugged into my Instagram, so I'm not super active on there. Mm -hmm. Feel free to email me, carrie.cowell at gmail.com, so that's K-A-R-I dot C-O-W-E-L-L at gmail.com, and that's probably, like, or you can DM me on on Facebook or Instagram. That's really, like, more, like, the places you'll find me. At some point, I'll have a website, but right now, I'm doing okay, so... (laughs) Well, that's it. You know, I think like redefining, you know, all the things that we should have really like if you're magnetic and you got a little bit of magic and manifestation to you, you could just kind of do it bare bones. And I feel like that's really good because then you haven't like sunk a lot of like money and time and effort into like building this thing that people may or may not want. Like you said, you know, pivoting from yoga to, um, you know, dating, like that's huge. And I think this is a a huge moment of reinvention for everybody, especially people being affected by COVID. And so I think it's a great time to do the personal growth, like hire a coach, like figure it out. And like you said, way cheaper than grad school, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh, way cheaper than grad school. Even like yoga teacher training, which for some people is personal growth and not like, I want to become a teacher, but I'm just like, man, if I had done this when I was like 17 or even like you know, 25, like I'd be in such a better place financially right now and have way less debt. So yeah, hire a coach, whether it's for dating or business or anything, because it really is like, I think, and, and it's the same thing with therapy, right? But some people don't need to do like the super deep, like childhood drama work, um, like I do, or maybe you do, but like coaching, I always call coaching therapy light because it's having that objective third party who can look at you and be like, have you considered this? Because maybe you haven't, because you're too close to the problem. Like anything that we are fully enmeshed in, which hopefully is your life, like it is really hard to see it from that outside view. It's so important to have that. Yeah. And I think the thing that's different about coaching is it's really like results oriented. So like I know in my Mm -hmm. therapy practice, I'm very like coping skills, solution focused along with the depth because I can't just not be deep. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think for a lot of therapists, they're not really like focused on results. And so then it's like rehashing the problems. And I don't really think that that's like very good. That just like steeps you in the identity of like, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. And so I think for a lot of people, what they're craving is that like positive support that gets them results, Mm -hmm. you know, and that could be with a therapist, but I think you're definitely going to find that with a coach. Yes. I wish I I need to like have my friend text this to me because she's actually in a school to be a sex coach, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm super excited about for her. But like she had put on her Instagram stories, like what's the difference between a sex coach and a sex therapist? And it really was more like, you know, you're a coach, you're like a cheerleader, you're a part of a team. It's, 
it's a more collaborative relationship, whereas therapy is definitely like there's, I don't want to say there's like that wall because it kind of depends on like how you, how you do your therapy and like what um, systems you believe in. But, but there's definitely like more of a barrier because you are working with like a lot of times like those deeper traumas and things that kind of need to be reflected back. Whereas like when you're a coach, you can just kind of be in it with them, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, I would just add that, like, I think at least when I was coming up in grad school, like, I think a lot of it's like fear-based, like, because Mm -hmm. you have a license and like, you don't want to get sued. Like, I think there's a lot of like parameters and, you know, coaching is still like kind of like the wild, wild west. It's like still kind of like unregulated. It's kind of like being a healer. Um, And there's pros and cons to both, you know, but like, I do think that there's a certain level of connection that's like very powerful and very deep and like very transformative that comes with coaching. And that's, that's definitely the piece that really appeals for me. So thank you again for like living your story. Like, I really feel like that's so powerful and just showing that like, you can do the thing, you know, and you don't have to like overcomplicate it. I think that's a big thing that I'm totally guilty of. And I just really want to like send women the message that everybody, the message that, you know, it can really just be simple as like claiming your desires. Yeah, absolutely. It it doesn't have to be complicated. I think we like to make it complicated because on some level we're like trained to like love the drama. Like that's yeah. something that I train myself out of. Cause like even at like I I'm horrible. And I mean like right, like I texted you even I'm like, I haven't eaten today. Can we meet at 215 instead of two? But like that's my drama, right? Like I'm just gonna be late to everything. And so I have this stress and I have all these chemicals running through my body and oh my god, this is my drama, right? Which isn't like I'm not making like arguments with my spouse or or anything like that or getting into like dramatic trysts with my friends or whatever, but like, it's still drama. Like when you're late to everything, it's still creating that stress. Well, just to give you feedback, I really appreciated that because I was like running like a teensy bit late and I was like, oh yeah, like I really want to have good vibes like going on this uh, interview. So like actually like jumped in the shower, I like changed my clothes, some sage. So like, you know, I was like, oh, look at her. She just asked for what she wanted, like, and I'm fine with it. So I actually thought that that was like a beautiful moment. It was a good reminder for me. And I was like, oh yeah, I need to do that more often. So I'm not like, you know, so it's funny, like, you know, like I received it like, oh yeah, that gives me permission to relax, you know? And then like, when we think there's some, when we make ourselves wrong for like what we want, that's when we start getting that, you know, rush of everything. So yeah, we may have to do a part two because I feel like there's so much we could talk about. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and sign off here for today. Um, We'll put we'll we'll connect all the links and everything in the show notes and get everybody going and definitely hire Carrie and thank you so much for coming on the fearless feminine it was my pleasure thank you so much Megan have a wonderful day bye thanks for listening to the divine feminine revolution podcast make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review want to keep the conversation flowing Find us on Facebook at the Divine Feminine Revolution Facebook group, where revolutionary women gather to listen to their hearts, monetize their gifts, and change the world.